Well, if you will, please turn to uh, Romans chapter 12. That's primarily where we're preaching out of today. And uh, how many of you remember OxyClean? Right? I, I, I don't remember that. Billy May? Yeah, Billy May, that guy that would just scream at you from the TV. And they have this commercial with OxyClean where he's got like this, this clear... Or actually, it's not clear, but it's, well, okay, he's got a clear receptacle, and it's filled with something that's a brown liquid. And he just dumps the OxyClean in, and he doesn't even touch it. It just goes, and it turns clear. And you're like, what? That's amazing. He made all that yuck disappear. Well, what if that was like cream soda? And I liked it, Billy. That was horrible. Remember my cream soda go, go bye-bye. But I was thinking about how can we demonstrate that today there's two things I want you to grasp today as we, as we move forward in this idea of reconciling relationships. This summer we've been doing a series on real relationships. And we've been magnifying the, the concept or the idea that, what? That most of our relationships are on a surface level. Yet Christ talks about depth of relationship. That so much of the time the reason we're found wanting or that we are dissatisfied is because we have no depth in relationship. You see, depth in relationship requires much of me, and we've talked about all of that this summer, or at least most of it. And so we pulled together four words that forms the word real, that kind of is a synopsis of what we want you to remember in this concept, this idea, this principle of having real relationship. Number one, rewarding. Are your relationships rewarding? Do they excite you? Are you drawn to those relationships? Number two, are they engaging? You have to be engaged in your relationships for them to be real. And we're slowly moving to a, a, a life or a lifestyle where we're more and more not engaged with one another. I was just talking to someone this past week that just so frustrated because one of the relationships, a close relationship that they have, that that person spends all their time doing video games. And they're a 40-year-old person. And, and, and there's, a, there's a struggle there. There's a difficulty there. There's no engaging in the relationship. Third, we talked about that real relationships are what? Authentic. They're authentic. They're real. Is your relationship with those around you that you care about, is it one that's safe for you to say whatever is on your heart? Or do you have to be careful about what you say? Are you fearful about how to approach a person? That you can't be you. You can't be vulnerable. You can't share the difficulties. And that's something that happens within churches, Right? That's something that we desperately work towards here at Concord Bible, is that you can be authentic here. You don't have to walk around with pretense. You don't have to walk around saying that I've got all of this dialed in and figured out. The, the church was meant for sinners trying to become saints, not saints pretending not to be sinners. And lastly, how do we accomplish all of that? Is through the word love. And we'll see that today in some of the scripture that we're going to be looking at. That it's, it's through the power of love, what love really is, 
that we move forward and we have real relationships. So this morning, we're going to continue on. And, you know, when we talk about offense, I'll move this out a little bit so you all can see it from all sides. When we talk about offense, here, I'll put it right here, front and center. It's a lot like this ice. That within us, there is this thing that becomes cold and hard in our relationship with somebody. When there's a conflict between you and another person, a lot of times there's this thing that is it's not malleable anymore. You can't work it. It doesn't, it doesn't flow anymore. It's become rigid, stiff. You move it around and it clangs, right? The question is, what do you do when you've got something like that? How do you deal with that? Now, this morning, I'm trying to sum up this idea of reconciliation. So I thought, you know, I'd dive into some algebraic stuff because I'm such a great expert at math. So this morning, I'd like you to kind of hold to the, the idea that our, our sermon title is, is this concept in, in part three of this, that sum equals D plus R. Sum equals D plus R. And I'm going to explain to you what D plus R is in just a moment. Where we're going to focus scripturally this morning is still in Romans 12, 9 through 21. But we're going to be down on verses 20 and 21. And let's let's look at this together. Paul is saying this, and, and he's reiterating a testimony out of the book of Proverbs. But it's also things that... Christ has spoken to many times. And he says this, to the contrary. And he's speaking about, verse 19, the idea of avenging someone who has hurt you. Have we been there before? And, and, and you're probably saying, well, no, no, I haven't gone to my... But, you know, come on, hang on now. There, there are those subtle ways that we avenge, aren't there? You know, we, we can kind of persecute someone without really being obvious about it. Because they don't deserve our love. They don't deserve our sacrifice. They don't deserve our involvement. They don't deserve our resources. So the subtle way that we avenge is that we what? We withhold. We withhold. You're saying, Pastor, move on. Okay, I will. So Paul says this, you know, about vengeance. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, some of you are like, well, that sounds great. I'd love to see that actually happen. Some of you are visualizing the person in that actual action right now. Oddly enough, this fits really well that this is an Egyptian colloquialism. I don't know if our Egyptians in the room knew that. But it speaks to this idea that in giving love or demonstrating love or helping the very enemy that you have... It is that supreme act of love that will actually in turn bring a person around towards repentance. Not in the guilty sense, not in a sense of uh, exacting manipulation, but the idea of you know, taking that love and demonstrating when it was least understood to be required. And then you put the pressure on that person to think, to contemplate what's really going on. 
How does that happen? That only happens through active demonstration of love. So let's look at it this morning. Because many of us may have this challenge that sits, this offense that sits in our life. And so we're going to start with D. D means dissolve. D stands for dissolve. And you already heard the passage, Romans 12, 20 through 21. So my encouragement to you is this. I'm going to summarize, because many of us, we like minutia, we like studying, we like getting, you know, a, a, an anthology of ideas on the, on the idea of, or issue of forgiveness. But many of us are, we just like it simple, right? Just give us a couple things. And Jesus knew that about us, right? So what's he say? He sums up the whole law in what? Two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Makes it simple. So what we want to do is we've given out a ton of principles over the past two weeks. We want to summarize it with just two things. So if I lost you in the previous two weeks, I encourage you, just hold on to these two principles. And you're going to be able to figure out how to have reconciliation, true reconciliation, and how to move past this solid, immovable hard, cold attitude that resides within us. That God says that shouldn't be part of who we are. So our our question is, and actually, well, the question is this, Pastor, how do I move past this offense? I, I believe that the Spirit gave me this word, dissolve this week. Think about when you've been offended. Think about when you've been hurt. Think about when you had a challenge. Think about Christ on the cross. Think about Christ who had been mocked, who had been beaten, who had had spikes driven through His body, a spear thrust through His side. And yet from the cross, He looks down on His enemies and He says, what? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Did He not just dissolve the enemy? How powerful is that statement? But when you think about the ultimate goal, the ultimate result in what Jesus accomplished with those words, I think the word dissolve is really good. Because when you dissolve something, it no longer remains in the state that it was in. It's like Billy May with OxyClean, right? I mean, you still got something in there, but it is completely changed. And I think that's a big secret for you and I when it comes to forgiveness. So how do we dissolve that thing that's causing separation between us and maybe God... Right? We start there first. But maybe those around us, our neighbors. So I'm going to give you some principles. Put the offense into an environment that it cannot survive. Put the offense into an environment that it can't survive. What am I speaking about? Well, imagine that crowd before Christ at the cross whipped into a frenzy, angry, willing to thrust a spear into the side. And yet the Roman centurion, after hearing those words, 
what happened? That angst, that separation, that viewpoint was completely dissolved to the point that he said, what? Truly, this is the Son of God. Do you understand how important dissolving is? Do you understand that there are things that we can say? There are things that we can do. There are processes where we can take that conflict, that offense, and we can put it into an environment it cannot survive. Right? It can't survive. Secondly, don't rescue the hurt. What? Pastor, what are you talking Some of you are rescuers. You know what I mean? I just saw, I, I don't know if you guys saw this. Oh my goodness, my wife thinks that I lost my man card this week. Um, she's like, what are you talking about? I told her that as I was doing my semi-daily perusal of Facebook to see how things are going with my people, somebody had posted a video of a sea turtle that had snorted up a straw. Oh yeah, some of you have seen this, right? snorted up a straw and it's these people on a boat and they've got a pair of pliers and they're trying to pull this straw out of its nose and I thank God I didn't have like the audio on I've never heard a sea turtle cry but this thing was just ah, just whatever it would sound like but it was screaming as he's trying to pull this straw out of its nose he's trying to rescue and, 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 and pull this offense out and I told my wife about it and I'm like this is the most hor- horrific thing I've seen She's sitting there. Okay, all right. Okay, honey. Um, what that has to do with where I'm going here is is beyond my comprehension now. Because in my mind, I'm looking at, oh yeah, don't rescue the hurt, right? Some of us rescue hurt. And in some ways, that's a good thing, but sometimes we rescue hurt that should be dissolved. Let's see what... what Paul says about this. We're going to be in Galatians 5, 17, or it's 17 through 13. How about that? We go in reverse. 7 through 13. I'm so sorry. Just wanted to keep you all sharp out there because I'm a dull instrument. All right. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Stop. You were running well. You were excelling. You were growing. And something happened. Something stopped you in your tracks from proceeding and moving forth. In other words, maybe there was a change in your life with the Galatians. They were growing in Christ, but there were those that came in and they started espousing the need for the law and Jewish practices. And that's what grace and freedom had said. We no longer focus on these things. We move forward in the freedom of Christ. And we live in this relationship with Christ. And so some people came along with some bad, spurious teaching. They said, no, 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 you got to get back to this because this is the tradition. And so get, get focused on this. And, and, and Paul says, why did you listen to that? You went back and you tried to rescue something that was just going to cause you hurt. Why did you bring that back into your life? Listen to the importance of how he speaks to this. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Are you there 
with unreconciled relationships, whether it's God or whether it's others around you, you just can't move past this thing. And so you've given up. You've given up on all these principles that God gives you and says, if you do these things, if you let me rule in your heart and your life, then we can eradicate these things. We can dissolve these things. And yet, what did we do? We went right back. Peter says it's like a dog returning to its vomit. And that's what happened here at the church of Galatia. You were running well. And then you went right back into it. Some of us do that with our hurt, don't we? Some of us the past two weeks have been saying, well, pastor, you know, I've heard a lot of messages on forgiveness and, and reconciliation. And it works for a little bit, but then it always comes back up. Right? It always comes back up. You know, here's the amazing thing that Paul's trying to point out. It came back up because we let it. We gave audience to it. We listened. We even set a table for it sometimes. Let me continue on. Verse uh, 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision... Why am I still being persecuted? In the case the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I read that incorrectly. You see the exclamation point there? That would be like Paul saying, I wish that those who set you backwards would just destroy themselves. Now, that doesn't sound like a very forgiving, reconciling person, does it? Can I just emphasize to you, my friends, that when somebody is preaching that which is destructive, we are to have that attitude. Because that is the voice of the enemy, your adversary, seeking to what? To set a cold, hard object in your life that keeps you from running well. Keeps you from loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or keeps you from loving your neighbor as yourself. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. Remember we talked about that. That it's going to come through love. It's going to come through love that you're going to be able to dissolve those issues that are sitting at your table that are keeping you from running well, moving forward. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall what? Love your neighbor as yourself. I love that about what Paul just said there, because I could see, I do that all the time, right? I'm always telling you, it's, it's in like one thing. One, and then I say like five words. And I took it from Paul, okay? But then verse 15 says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. My friends, we have to dissolve the things that seek to destroy our relationship with God and with those around us. How do we do that? Stop rescuing the hurt. Stop giving it a place at your table. Stop allowing it to dominate in your life. You say, Pastor, you know, I... I, I, I I I did forgive and then it came back. Well, because you let it come back. Well, no, Pastor, that's not fair. I I dealt with it and it just overwhelmed me again. Yeah. That's like me saying, well, I stopped eating donuts. 
And if I don't want to eat donuts anymore, I won't drive by King's Donuts between the hours of 8 and 10 a.m. I heard that amen. If I'm going to head in a northerly fashion in the morning, my wife sometimes will watch which way I head out in the driveway and I'll get a phone call. I'm halfway to King's Donuts. Hi, honey. Which is good. It's good for me. I can't sit there and say, those donuts, dang those donuts, they just snuck right back into my life. No, I made a decision. Which is obvious. What are you laughing at? Let's move on. Don't rescue the hurt. Stop. Stop rescuing it. A monologue and a dialogue and sometimes a trialogue. Yes, that's right. That's a Jer word. A trialogue. What do I mean by that? Well, verse 21 tells us what? What is it, what is it trying to share with us? Turn back there in, uh, in Romans, if you will. And we find the answer here. Uh, and it's not as easy to understand as it may seem. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, that's a great pithy statement, Paul. Thank you. But think about the reality of trying to dissolve something that if I'm going to truly work on that level, then I don't want the evil to dominate. Sometimes I've got to add something that's good. Right? Sometimes I've got to add something that's good. Rather than letting... Now, now, as you look at this, that ice isn't as apparent, is it? It's dissolving. At a certain level, I took it out of its environment. What was ice's natural environment? That freezer in the kitchen. I took it out. Do you think it's by any mistake I put it right here under that light? No. Do you think it's by any mistake that I took it out of its environment, putting it in this situation that slowly is dissolving? But maybe that's not enough. Maybe I need to do some good to really dissolve this thing as fast as I can. So I added something. And now look, it's not as noticeable as it was, but it's still there. It's still there. You know, sometimes we ask for forgiveness from people that will never grant it. I received those questions over the past two weeks. Let me help you with that right now. That's a monologue. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. High priest, Annas, Caiaphas. Wow, did you hear him, Caiaphas? After all we've done? Jesus, I know it might be a little bit late, but please Forgive us. John 18, 75, right? Is that one in your Bible? No. On and on and on. There was no dialogue between Jesus and the offenders. There was simply His statement that represented His desire to dissolve the evil that was seeking to make him stumble. How did he do it? Paul says there's one way. Love. Love. 
sometimes dissolving something, you're only going to have a monologue. Don't have any greater expectations than that. Just come correct with Christ. Ask Him to dissolve the offense and the hurt and move on. It may not be necessary for you to have that dialogue with that individual. It may not even be possible. Many of us struggle with forgiveness issues for relationships where the person has passed on. They've deceased. Just ask God to deal with that. Have a monologue. And dissolve. Let Christ dissolve. Turn it into a dialogue with Christ. And let Christ dissolve that thing. But understand, you don't need the person to respond all the time. Sometimes it just may not be possible. But that doesn't mean you can't dissolve the hurt and the pain. Christ is made a way through freedom. But we have to remember to what? Let's not go back and rescue that thing. Let's not go back and rescue it. And let's make sure that if it starts to come up again, we put it right back in an environment that it cannot survive. I'm going to give you some things coming up with our second point today. So you may say, well, what's a trilogue? Well, that's where the person is in your vicinity. They are involved in the conversation. I can have the private conversation, and that's easy, right? I can have the private conversation between myself and God and I can just dismiss the thing and I can dissolve the issue. But guess what? Sometimes it wants to raise its ugly head again because I know I'm not reconciled yet. So this isn't dissolved, is it? And you know how you know that you have to have a trilogue? Because when you run into that person again, you want to avoid them. That's not reconciliation, is it? We're going to look at that in John 21 between Peter and Christ. So sometimes you hear me saying it, right? That sometimes it's just it's going to be a monologue. Sometimes it's going to be a dialogue between you and God. And sometimes it's going to be a trilogue. But the whole point is that you take that offense, you take that hurt, and you dissolve it. That's where we start. Second, the second rule, right? I told you there's D plus R is going to be the sum of the matter today. Well, let's look at it. Replacement. Replacement theory. This is what we're talking about. And so we're going to give you some very specific things today to look at in context to this. And, and our thought comes from Luke 6. Let's go ahead and turn there. Luke 6. <clears throat> and so remember, we've talked about dissolving that offense. We've given you three principles on how to dissolve that offense. But how many of us remember, and this is not that parable, but how many remember the parable that Jesus talked about where there's this continual struggle with sin and Jesus says it's, a, it's like a, a man who was demon-possessed, right? And that we, we exercised that demon out and that demon went out to the other end of the earth, but the man never what? Never filled himself with something. And the demon went to and fro and couldn't find any place to reside. And where did he find a nice Hyatt Regency room with full turn-down service. Right back where he was cast out from. Because nothing was filled. Nothing had been put back in. Nothing had been what? Replaced. And so Jesus says now he's worse than the first. Because he didn't just have one. He brought his friends. 
So let's look at what Luke 6 has for us this morning. 27 and 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Active words here. You ready? Number one, love. Number two, in the spirit of Paul, do good. Right? Number three, bless. Number four, pray. These are all active things. So under replacement theory, what are we looking at? We need to pray for the person each time their hurt comes to mind. Remember, we talked about this idea that don't rescue the hurt. The reality of it is, for most of us, when there's been a deep, cutting, hurtful offense between ourselves and somebody else, or ourselves and God, we try to deal with it. We take some great principles we see out of Scripture, and we have some success. But then it does what? Sneaks right back through the back door, right? Ken Sandy, in his book, The Peacemaker, makes this recommendation. And he was talking about how uh, he had been offended by somebody. And he says, he practiced this principle of praying for the person. And so when they prayed, and you heard me give this testimony the previous two weeks about Corey Tenboom when she met her, her enemy, an SS officer, but Ken Sandy says, I prayed, and you know what? This is what happened. It didn't work. For a second it worked, for a moment it worked, but guess what? It didn't really happen. So what did I do? I prayed again. And I went further without thinking about those hurtful things. Even though we'd gone through a process of reconciliation. You know that offense started to come back, started to reform. And so I had to pray again. And this time it went longer. But guess what? Somebody else reminded me of it. And it stung just a little bit this time. And it wanted a place at the table. But I prayed again. I'm replacing the hurt and the anger with thoughts to the Lord and praying for that person who has offended me. It's a tried and true principle. There was a pastor that uh, many in the room know, uh, Renee Shepler, um, constant speaker at, at uh, Mount Hermon. I remember hearing him and, and him talking about when he was at a church uh, up and coming, there was an elderly lady that hated the changes that he was doing. And she was trying to raise committees to get him fired and working so hard at this. And so he just, and he was so hurt by it and so frustrated and it started to dominate his thinking, right? That's what happens with hurt. And it started to build a barrier and he would make sure that he wasn't anywhere around her zone in the church. And then he realized the folly of all that. And so he decided to sit down and say, can we just pray together? Brother, sister, it is an amazing thing how you can dissolve hurt, agenda, sin 
when you pray together out of authentic hearts and loving hearts. And slowly that relationship started coming together. And slowly what ended up happening is her grandson came to that church. Her grandson was struggling in his life. He came to know Jesus and changed his life around. And guess who is Renee Shepler's biggest fan? See, prayer is that first replacement approach. Oh, secondly, focus on the good things about the person. Celebrate the good person, all right? Celebrate the things that are great about that individual. There's a reason you have relationship with that individual or you have relationship with God because there are things that impressed you. There are things that developed the initial relationship, right? But then an offense comes in. It starts to become a barrier towards enjoying those things you loved in the first place. This, by the way, is what often happens in marriages. And so how do we combat that? Start focusing and celebrating the things that you enjoy and that you celebrate about the person or about God. If our mind is focused because of tragedy, because of circumstance, God, where are you? You said that you are faithful and yet this is happening. Why don't we focus on the things that God has done for years in our life in His faithfulness? And in the midst when that when that temptuous time comes, we just look at it, we recognize it, and we say, God, will be faithful. There's something that's at work here that goes beyond my understanding. But I know the character of God. I know who He is. I know that Jesus did all of these things for me, and that is not in vain. That when it comes to other people, I choose to focus on whatever's good, whatever's true, whatever's lovely. Right? And if I do that, what am I in fact doing? I'm replacing I'm replacing that hurt and that offense. And that leads to reconciliation. So number one, replacement theory has to start with your thoughts. That's, that's where we were at the beginning there. Secondly, it has to start with our words. John 21 is a great, great uh, reference. I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase it or, or give you some reference on it. You don't have to turn there. But it's this beautiful passage of... Uh, this interaction between Peter and Jesus Christ. And when we look at it, when we see what, uh, what Christ is doing here, it is a beautiful demonstration of reconciliation with Peter. And he has great plans for Peter, and he seeks to engage with Peter. And so in verse 15, you see this interaction. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these... He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now let's, let's see what we're talking about. Well, if we're using words, Jesus uses specific language to address what Peter and the others are thinking. Right? Elephant in the room situation, isn't it? You know, we've gone through the crucifixion. We've gone through the resurrection. We've had a couple tete-a-tetes interactions here and there. And, and now they're kind of gathered on this seashore. Christ has created breakfast for them. And there's the elephant in the room. There's the camel on the beach. You know, however you want to say it. And that is, <clears throat> hey, Andrew, do you think he's ever going to address that whole thing of Peter, like, lying, betraying him three times? Because none of us did. We didn't do that. But Peter did. And he really shouldn't have a place to fire here. And actually, he got more fish than I did this morning. And, you know, I hope Jesus is going to do something about this. 
Oh, I, I'm sure he'll do something. Uh, you know, he's Jesus. You know, he'll do something. Jesus uses specific language here so nothing is left unaddressed. Because he knows that you're thinking. Remember, that was the, in the first week. Don't excuse things. Don't parse them off. Don't pretend they don't exist. Because you'll never be able to dissolve that problem. Right? So Jesus dissolves it with his first statement. And, and, and what does he say? Let's, since I've now got you thinking in those lines, let me re-read re, it. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than and these? These being the disciples, men. What was Peter's failure? Fear of men. Fear of men drove him to lie and deny Christ three times. So what is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to the obvious offense. He's dissolving the obvious offense. Then what what is the next thing he does? He said to him, feed my lambs. You see what he just did? He replaced. He replaced. He said, stop focusing on that then, because I know it's in the back of your mind, and the rest of you, I know it's in the back of your minds as well. I want you to know I've moved on. I simply asked you, remember it's a trilogue, right? He simply says, I asked you, do you love me more than you love these? Yes, I do. Confession, repentance, boom, it's out in the open for everybody here. Fine, Jesus says, I've moved on. Now what I want you to do, I want you to replace that guilt, replace all of that stuff, and I want you to feed my sheep. You're reinstated. There is nothing between you and me. Oh, and by the way, just in case everybody sitting around this fire doesn't get it, and maybe that's you... Let's do it for each time you betrayed me. You see how thorough Jesus is with his words, because he repeats this three times. Jesus uses specific language to replace what others are thinking and what Peter might be thinking. Jesus replaces the hurt with renewed purpose. Right? We've talked about this idea that Okay, you can dissolve this, but unless you fill it back up, what's going to happen? It's going to come in and have a place at the table. And so Jesus says, okay, fine, you've said, I love you more than I love these guys. I've learned my lesson. We've dissolved it now. Now, Peter, that's not enough. I need to get you moving forward. I need to get you moving in a direction so that you're thriving, so that you're running well. Remember, Paul said what? You were running well. Who cut in on you? You guys ever quote that scripture when you're on 680? Right? I claim Galatians 5.13 on you. Well, you better claim 18 as well. Okay, moving on. Jesus replaces the hurt with renewed purpose. So, so we need to do the same with our words. With our words. So if you're going to go through a process of reconciliation and forgiveness with somebody, don't just say, I forgive you, I've confessed, we've repented. Say, now what are we going to do? For all those things that we were brought together to be and to exemplify and to create, now where are we going to go? Because if we don't replace that emptiness, it's just going to come back. And it's going to have a place to sit at the table. We also need to do this in deeds. So replacement theory does what? It it addresses thoughts, it addresses our words, and now it addresses our actions. 1 John 3.18 speaks to this idea. And 
you know, First John is just such a, a, a prolific book. Um, and, and this section in chapter 3 just talking about the love and the love of God and the love of the body of Christ being that exemplary marker of what it means to be a believer. And so, as we look at this, in thinking through, let me back it up just a little bit uh, in 17, actually go to 16. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. So here's His deed, right? That Christ didn't just say it in thought, He didn't just say it in word, but He replaced that which was imperfect, the law, and He could have done it with His words, He could have just commanded it, but what did He do? He did it in action. He did it in deed. Think about that. When somebody promises you something and, and they say something, that sounds sweet, but it's completely realized when they take action and they follow through with it. Right? So in our replacement, our deeds matter. And so it says this. Uh, 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 let me back up. Sorry, I lost it here for a second. By this we know love that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Replacement theory. So, when we're trying to dissolve that hurt, think about just the veracity of that statement. To dissolve that hurt means it no longer exists. It's not even identifiable anymore. That's the image I want you to get with offense. We're trying to dissolve that hurt. It's a challenge. It's an issue of then going through our thoughts, our words, and then our deeds. Replacing what that was trying to steal away from us. And so in love, we move forward together. That's how you do it. There's a story about Thomas Edison that when he was discovering the light bulb, and he had moved past that a little bit, he uh, had a working light bulb. It's going great. And he had a helper, a young boy in his lab. And he had just completed one, I don't know, 530 in the lot. So he hands the bulb to the young boy. It was probably like number three, actually. Hands the bulb to the young boy and says, I need you to take this upstairs to, you know, whoever the people are up there and what they need. And it took two weeks to manufacture this light bulb. And there were multiple people working on it. So the boy takes it from Thomas Edison, retreats the far end of the lab, begins his journey up the stairs, and the very dreaded exact thing that you didn't want to hear is exactly what happened. As everybody downstairs, including Thomas Edison, heard the trip and then the ensuing crash of glass. And the boy looked in horror Thomas turned around to his crew and he simply said, well, we need to replace that. So, get to work. Two weeks later, they have bulb number four. What do you think Thomas did? Young man, 
Come here. Here's this bulb. I want you to take it to the people upstairs so they can ship it out. This time he succeeded. Now we all know what was in that boy's heart for two weeks, don't we? Do you now understand the need for replacement and how powerful that is? But in reality, I have a filter on that light and it didn't heat up this ice fast enough. But this certainly gives you a picture of what we're talking about when we're talking about dissolving. I dare say in about another 15 minutes because not only have I taken the hurt out of its environment, but I started to replace it with things like prayer, with good deeds, with love. It's almost non-existent, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, You know all things. You know the hearts of each person here. Your Spirit, it says in 1 Corinthians 2, searches the hearts of men and engages with their spirit. So You know, Lord, the challenges of reconciliation within our lives. I pray first and foremost for our reconciliation with You. But Father, if there is that area in our life that has become a hurt, has become an offense, that we want to hold against You, and yet we're the ones that are losing. We're the ones that are tragically sorrowful and angry and disappointed because we're allowing it to sit at our table. Lord, I pray that You give us the insight on how to dissolve that hurt. Let Your love dissolve that hurt. And then, Father, I pray that You help us understand how to replace that with those things that are good, those things that are helpful, whether it's in thought, word, or deed. Let us take the example of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Let us put into practice the sum of the matter when it comes to reconciled relationships. That number one, we need to dissolve the offense. Number two, we need to replace it with that which is good. That we not be overcome with evil, but that we overcome evil with good. Amen. This morning, as we conclude our service, I encourage you, dwell on these things and then put them into practice. C.S. Lewis said this about the issue of reconciling. He said, don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Wise words. God bless you. You are dismissed. Love on one another and go make a change out there.